Shalom, Mishpocha. Welcome to this week's edition of Kadima Talk. I'm going to share a little bit this week about teachable spirit. I'm going to talk a few scriptures and proverbs, and we'll get into some wisdom behind this and see several biblical examples of the necessity to have this. Psalms 86, verse 11, Adonai, teach me your way so that I can live by your truth. Make me single-hearted so that I can fear your name. Proverbs 15, verse 32, he who spurns discipline detests himself, but he who listens to correction grows in understanding. Proverbs 15, verse 33, the discipline of wisdom is fear of the Lord. So before being honored, a person must be humbled. So we see here that a teachable spirit is something that many lack. A good way to find out if you have a problem in this area is to ask yourself the following question, how do I respond to correction? Those who won't receive advice are the kind of people Proverbs 15.32 is speaking about. They get bent out of shape when they're corrected or believe that they're being attacked. They're insecure. And we see this commonly in the congregation. And I'll share with you that the overwhelming majority of people in the last 20 years that I've sat down to bring correction to right a wrong become inflamed, become angry, and leave the congregation without any discussion, without any sitting down and praying and reasoning together. The good news is we have a handful of humble, mature believers who, when we sit down and talk about things like this, they receive it and move forward. And so this is very prevalent and is revealed in our behaviors, those who are secure or insecure in themselves. And it takes a mature person to be teachable and correctable. So let's look at a few of these behaviors. Behaviors of insecure people who won't receive correction, they never feel secure about their identity. And uh, I'm going to say this in not too broad of a brushstroke, but we see this on a consistent basis in a messianic movement. And it's, it's that desire that, hey, I'm not Jewish enough. I have to prove my Jewish identity. Can I share with you that our identity in Yeshua is all we need? His acceptance is all that we strive for. I'm going to say this in love, but I don't care what Orthodox Israel thinks about me. I don't care what Orthodox Judaism thinks about me. I don't care what Orthodox Christianity thinks about me. I know who I am as a Jewish man and a believer in Yeshua, and I don't have to compare myself to anybody else and see if I fit the mold or fit the matrix because Yeshua is who I must please, and that's who I want to accept me. Other behaviors of insecure people, when someone corrects them, they get defensive. They won't take advice uh, that are not from people like themselves. They are the kind of people who are constantly trying to prove something. They may tend to lie to make themselves look good in front of others. They're ashamed to let other people know who they really are. And when they're corrected, they typically feel rejected. And as I shared earlier, uh, quite possibly or highly likely will leave the congregation and as I've shared, this has happened to us dozens of people in the last 20 years. Criteria for secure people, they can be corrected without feeling rejected. They are teachable, and they will listen to constructive criticism. And this is across the board in age or socioeconomic background or culture. Proverbs 15 verse 12 says, A scorner does not like being corrected. He won't go to the wise for advice. Proverbs 13, 20, he who walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer. Here is a description of having a teachable spirit versus an unteachable spirit. What does unteachability look like? You see it in the congregation. 
Those are the people who don't take notes. They don't read books. They don't learn anything unless it's the bare minimum of what's essential for exam purposes or to get to the next level. They don't ask questions or attempt anything that might reveal their ignorance or risk looking stupid. They don't accept responsibility for failures but blame anyone and everyone else. They don't seek or accept one-to-one personal guidance or mentoring from parents, teachers, pastors, or elders. They don't listen but talk, talk, talk. They talk. They talk about themselves. They talk about uh, someone else, but especially when you're with someone uh, that you could learn a lot from. They don't, they don't take criticism or correction without resentment or retaliation. They resist moving out of a personal comfort zone at work or study or ministry or relationships, but always look for the easy and familiar route. They don't read, listen to, or learn anything that challenges existing presuppositions, practices, and prejudices. And so, yeah, again, I, I don't want to stir the pot here, but we see a lot of this in general Christianity. When presented with who and what Messianic Jews are, what we stand for, and the truth of the word, uh, they'll become quite angry. They won't receive correction. They're not willing to change. They won't listen to the truth, even when it was recorded in Scripture, but fall back to their own narrative and what we've talked about previously known as cognitive dissonance. They'll change the narrative to fit their views vice changing their narrative to fit the truth, and there's a big difference here. So in contrast, teachability means you're aware of the limitations of your own knowledge and abilities. You admit limitation, inability, and ignorance to others who can teach and help you. you you're aware of your weak areas and willing to talk with others about that uh, to bring increase in knowledge to that area. You regularly ask for help, instruction, guidance, and advice be- before things happen, not after a disaster strikes. You listen to others carefully and patiently with a desire to learn from everyone. You're prepared to move out of your comfort zone, to try something different, make mistakes, to possibly even look stupid, to answer wrongly. It's taking that risk and stepping out into the unknown. You don't give up when you fail at something, but seek help and try again and again and again till you get it right. Most successful people have failed three to four times in their life. And we've talked about this incessantly through these talks. It's learning from those failures. We call it failing forward. In those mistakes, you learn. Either the timing was off, this was the wrong mode, the wrong event, but you learn from it. doesn't mean you never try again, but it means you step back and, okay, why did this happen? Make corrections and go for it again. Teachability means you're willing to change your views and practices when convincing evidence is presented to you, even if it means admitting you were wrong. There's another word for teachability, humility. And, you know, let me share in this time and season that we're in, and this is just after the uh, presidential inauguration. And I've shared this on our messages. You can go to our website. But there was an extensive amount of prophetic voices that said Trump would be sworn in January 20th. That didn't happen. And as we know, I've gone back and I've re-listened to some of these prophetic voices. I've, I've listened to what they've said after January 21st, like January 22nd, 23rd, after the inauguration. And there's no admittance that there was an error. There's no humility. I've heard things like, well, Saint, you didn't have enough trust. Uh, Well, the the timing was off. Or the optics were, hey, listen, if you come out and say something's going to happen January 20th and it doesn't, 
you've got to come to grips with that and you've got to repent and be willing to fall forward and get it right in the future. But it's admitting that there's an issue, admitting that you were wrong and willing to change your views and practices to get it right. This is why it's so critical. This, this topic is so critical for this hour right now that we have to be teachable. And we have some examples here biblically. Naaman, the general of Aram's army, had za'arat, which is leprosy. He was one of the greatest generals known, but he's got this medical condition that, that's hindering what he's doing and uh, his warfare capabilities. His wife's servant was a young Israeli girl that he'd gotten on their incursions or raids into Israel. And this young Israeli servant girl said to her mistress, I wish my Lord could go to the prophet in Shamron. He could heal his za'arat, his leprosy. So he goes with some large gifts and a letter from his king to the king of Israel. So in 2 Kings 5, starting at verse 5, so Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him who said, Go and bathe in the Jordan seven times. Your skin will become as it was, and you'll be clean. In verse 11, Naaman became angry and left, saying, Here now, I thought for certain that he would come out personally, that he would stand, call in the name of Adonai as God, and wave his hand over the diseased place, and thus heal the person with leprosy, with za'arat. Hey, you know this is an issue in the greater body today. We want smoke and mirrors. This is also an Elijah moment that, you know, we want the earth to thunder and the, 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 we want the ground to shake and, and we want to see, oh, God's mighty power. We want to have all of our senses turned on by this. But the reality is sometimes it's just simple. It's hearing the still, small voice of the Lord. How simple could this be? Go down to the Jordan and immerse yourself seven times. But this guy's like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, it, what? The Jordan? What kind of, you know, if you've come with us to Israel, of course, some of it's dammed up now, but we would think, you know, in our area here in Hampton Roads, we're surrounded by rivers. We're at the river mouths that dump into the Chesapeake Bay. And so the mouth of the York River is about two and a half miles wide. The mouth of the James River, uh, where, where the confluence of the James and the Elizabeth River comes together and dumps into the uh, Chesapeake Bay, it's about five miles. So w when you come to our area, hey, we got rivers. We know what rivers mean. And so and Naaman, he has this understanding. But the Jordan, it, it looks like it's a creek. It, you know, you can almost jump across it when it's not in flood stage in Israel today. It's muddy. It's not that impressive to look at. And so in verse 11, Naaman became angry. He's saying, here now, I thought for certain that he would come out and do something personally, that he would stand, and we would have smoke and mirrors, and we'd have a great service, and he would begin speaking in tongues over me and wave his hand over the disease, and something would happen. Verse 12, aren't Ammana and Parpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the water in Israel? Why can't I bathe in them and be clean? So he, he turned and went off in a rage. He almost missed the opportunity of a lifetime when it presented himself. There's a whole nother Kadima talk in this of moving in that opportunity regardless of what it looks like or what our preconceived notions are. That's the most dangerous thing in the kingdom is a preconceived notion that when it doesn't happen this way, in our rage and anger, we march off and miss the opportunity. So his servants, verse 13, they approached him and said, My father... If the prophet had asked you to do something really difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So doesn't it make even more sense to do what he says when it's only bathe and be clean? 
Verse 14, so he went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan, as the man of God said to do. And his skin was restored, and it became like the skin of a child, and he became clean. Verse 15, then with his whole retinue, he returned to the man of God, went and stood before him and said, well, I've learned that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Therefore, please accept a present from your servant. Naaman received a supernatural healing. Listen, he just didn't receive a healing. He got restored. His skin was like that of a child. He received this supernatural healing because he had a teachable spirit and listened to a humble Jewish servant girl of his wife. We have another profound example in Daniel 4 with King Nebuchadnezzar who writes a letter concerning a God encounter that he had, which drastically changed his life in his kingdom. Now, I, I brought this into it again, and, and this is, well, I'm going to read the entire chapter 4, so don't fall asleep on me here. But this is critical because this is in the writing of Nebuchadnezzar. He's explaining this God encounter he had. But you got to understand that Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most insane, horrible, draconian leaders ever recorded in the Scripture. He was ruthless. He murdered anybody who was against him or opposed him. This is a guy that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the flaming fire because they wouldn't bow down to him. I mean, this guy was crazy. Yet it shows that anybody, any leader here where I'm going with this, any prime minister, any president, any king, any earthly government leader can have a God encounter and be radically transformed for the kingdom of God forever. Daniel 4, this letter is written by Nebuchadnezzar, and it says the following letter was sent out from the king to, it sounds like a modern-day uh, fax cover sheet, doesn't it? From the king to all the peoples, nations, and languages living throughout the earth. Now, why is this so critical? Why does this parallel us today? This is the world's only superpower at the time. There's world influence here. And so we see a parallel to America that we, too, are the world's only superpower and we have the social, social media, telemedia, movie media influence of the entire world. What happens in America, the whole world watches. So I, I'm praying a similar scenario like this to our own president in America today. To all the people's nations and languages living throughout the earth. Shalom Rav, which means abundant peace in uh, Aramaic. Verse 2, I am pleased to recount the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. What an opening. I'm pleased to recount, I'm pleased to give you the testimony, he says, of the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Verse 3, he said, how great are his signs, how powerful his wonders. His kingdom lasts forever, and he rules all generations. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was contently living at home, enjoying the luxury of my palace. But as I lay in my bed, I had a dream which frightened me, followed by fantasies and visions in my head which frightened me even more. So I ordered all the sages, the magicians of Babel, to present themselves to me so that they could tell me the interpretation of the dream. Verse 7, when the magicians, the exorcists, the astrologers, the diviners came, and I told them the dream, but they couldn't interpret it for me. Finally, however, Daniel named Belshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, came before me, and I told him the dream. Daniel, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, 
because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the meaning of the visions I saw in my dream. Verse 10, he said, Here are the visions I had in my head as I lay on my bed. I looked, and there before me was a tree at the center of the earth, and it was very tall. The tree grew, and it became strong until its crown reached the sky, and it could be seen from anywhere on earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant. It produced enough food for everyone. The wild animals enjoyed its shade. The birds in the air lived in its branches, and it gave food to every living creature. Verse 13, I looked in the visions of my head as I lay in my bed, and there appeared a holy watcher coming down from heaven. Verse 14, he cried out, cut down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves, scatter its fruit, let the wild animals flee from its shelter, let the birds abandon its branches. Verse 15, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze, and in the lush grass of the countryside. Let him be drenched with the dew from the sky and share the lot of animals in the pasture. Let his heart and mind cease to be human and become those of an animal, and let seven seasons pass over him. Verse 17, this order is issued by the watchers. The sentence is announced by the holy ones, so that all who live may know that the Most High rules the human kingdom, that he gives it to whomever he wishes and can raise up over it, the lowliest of mortals. Verse 18, this is the dream which I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw. Now you, Belshazzar, tell me its interpretation. None of the sages of my kingdom can tell me the interpretation, but you can do it because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Daniel, whose name is Belshazzar, was in shock a while, frightened by his thoughts. The king said, Belshazzar, don't let the dream or the interpretation frighten you. Belshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream were about those who hate you and the interpretation about your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and become strong until its crown reached the sky and it could be seen throughout the whole earth that had beautiful foliage and abundant fruit, enough to feed everyone under which the wild animals live and on those branches the birds in the air built their nest. It's you, verse 22. It's you, your majesty. You have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven and your rule extends to the ends of the earth. Verse 23, Now the king saw a holy watcher coming down from heaven who said, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze in the lush grass of the countryside. Let him be drenched with the dew from the sky and share the lot of the wild animals until seven seasons pass over him. Verse 24, This is the interpretation, your majesty, and it is the decree of the Most High that has come upon my lord the king. Verse 25, you will be driven from human society to live with the wild animals. You'll be made to eat grass like an ox and be drenched with dew from the sky as seven seasons pass over you until you learn that the Most High rules in the human kingdom and gives it to whomever he pleases. But since it was ordered to leave the stump of the tree with its roots, your kingdom will be kept for you until you have learned that heaven rules everything. Therefore, your majesty, please take my advice. Break with your sins by replacing them with acts of charity and break with your crimes by showing mercy to the poor. This may extend the time of your prosperity. I, I want to pause right here because this is the key for everything in the kingdom of God. Here, here comes a prophetic word that's not good, but th there's a chance to interject himself. The king has the ability to change the outcome. Jonah was sent to Nineveh who said, fast, repent, change your ways, turn back to God, or I will destroy this place in 40 days. And what happened? 
God's judgment was averted. Was Nineveh destroyed? Yes, but 200 years in the future. Nebuchadnezzar had the chance, he had the ability to have a teachable spirit, to humble himself before God, to repent, and to assuage this imminent judgment. Did he? Well, let's read on. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, 12 months later, as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babel, the king said, Babel the Great, I built it as a royal residence by my power and force to enhance the glory of my majesty. Verse 31, no sooner had the king spoken these words when a voice came down from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, these words are for you. The kingdom has left you. You'll be driven from human society to live with wild animals. You'll be made to eat grass like an ox and be drenched with dew from the sky as seven seasons pass over you until you learn that the Most High rules in the human kingdom and gives it to whomever he pleases. Within the hour, the word was fulfilled. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. When this period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes toward heaven and my understanding came back to me. I blessed the Most High. I praised and gave honor to him who lives forever. For his rulership is everlasting. His kingdom endures through all generations. All who live on earth are counted as nothing. He does what he wishes with the army of heaven and with those living on earth. No one can hold back his hand or ask him, what are you doing? It was at that moment that my understanding came back to me. And for the sake of the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor also came back to me. My advisors and lords sought me out. I was reestablished in my kingdom, and to my previous greatness, even more was added. Verse 37, so now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are truth, and his ways are just. And he can humble those who walk in pride. King Nebuchadnezzar had proved himself to be one of the most arrogant ruthless leaders in history, so self-centered and prideful that God dealt with him in a most unusual and supernatural way. God gave the king a vision, a huge tree chopped down by an angel. The tree represented himself. God removed him from his position and drove him into the wilderness to live like an animal. His hair and fingernails grew long. He ate the same diet as the beasts in the field. He dwelt in caves and dirt shelters. He stayed there for seven years until he fully recognized God as, as the creator and ruler of the universe. He had to be broken. He was not a humble man. He had to be broken to learn to be contrite, to learn submission and obedience, to relinquish control and power that he could become teachable. I'm going to say this again. It didn't have to be this way. He could have repented. He could have said, oh, my God, you are Lord, but he didn't. And in his prideful arrogance, he was brought low by the hand of God that he would become humbled and have a teachable spirit. 